Well, chimpanzee that. It's another episode of your favourite film podcast, Two Guys What Work in a Cinema. Uh, I'm Mark Donaldson. I'm Stuart Flint. And this month, uh, I'll be going ape for boyhood, while Stuart will be going ape shit about Begin Again. (laughs) I'm going to keep doing this. Um, We're also going to be talking about uh, The Purge Anarchy, Guardians of the Galaxy, and of course, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Will we go bananas for it, or does it make a monkey out of blockbuster cinema? (laughs) Uh, Not bad. There's more where that came from. There's more? Good. Oh, yeah. Does it go downhill, or is it only uphill from here? Well, you you can be the judge. (laughs) I've always felt that, like, you know, when people say, oh, it's all downhill from me, that's the easy part. Surely it should be, oh, 21, it's all uphill from here, mate. It's a fucking uphill struggle just to get through every day from now on. I think when they're talking about downhill, it's in yeah. terms of like your, to the grave. your quality of life and your enjoyment, oh, okay. not how hard or difficult it is right, day to day. So yeah, in in a way, it's both uphill and downhill. Increasing amount of work for diminishing amount of payoff. <laughs> That's life. That is life, yeah. Anyway. Stay enough... tuned and enjoy the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, enough monkeying around. Let's get started. <laughs> So, so, Boyhood. Boyhood, the film of the year. Uh... Fuck off. I didn't get to see it because uh, Mark... Um, yes. Saw, seeing the iceberg, fled Margate. <laughs> back to a city with some culture where they have good films. Um, so he was able to see Boyhood, whereas I stuck on the Titanic and there's no good film iceberg i don't really know where i'm going with this uh analogy <laughs> i didn't get boyhood at my local view cinema which i find strange because i i mean you complained about it didn't you you uh sent them a an angry tweet <laughs> yeah i was whinging at him on twitter <laughs> and they said oh Stuart, you know it's a limited cities release blah 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 sorry we couldn't get it for you mm. i'm gonna go ahead and say that's not true yeah, because I, I went on our website, which I believe is called launchingfilms.com, dot um, which is which says it's you know the Film Distributors Association, and they list all the films that are out uh, coming out over a month and sort of what sort of release strategy it has. And uh, Boyhood was marked as saturation, which and saturation is what you get with you know your big films like. You know, like the ones we'll be discussing later, like, you know, Planet of the Apes, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you know, it was a big film and it was properly promoted everywhere. In Edinburgh, yeah. I mean, we had it in every single cinema and it's still in, I think, every single cinema that's in Edinburgh. And there's a lot of cinemas in Edinburgh. And it you know? didn't it like break sort of records in America or something for like it was only released in like five screens and it and it took a record amount of money. Yeah, it did. I can't the remember the exact figures, but yeah, it, it did. Um, and meanwhile, the people of Thanet had to deal with Pudsey. Yeah, for two Let's weeks. For two weeks. It's not after the first week, the film buying department at View went, fucking get rid of that fucking Pudsey. That boyhood's breaking records in the States. It's doing really well. Get that in. I just, what, this is the thing I don't believe. is like, oh, it's a limited release. I bet they didn't... It, I, I know a little bit about how the film buying thing works. If, they, what, if, if a distributor's got like a big money-making film, indie yeah. film, and people are asking for it, they'll give it to them, surely. 
they'll give it to him. It's no. normally it's <clears> normally about the cinema doesn't want to put it in a screen on its own all day. Yeah. They go, no, I only want to give it one show in a week. And they go, well, no, then. Absolutely. I mean, I went to a talk at um, Sundance London last year about um, comedy films. And one of the guys there said the biggest threat to getting your film released isn't distribution, it's exhibition. Mm. It's it's exhibitors and it's you know big cinemas or small cinemas not wanting to take a risk on your product, and that's why you get you know a lot of sort of smaller films not released as widely as perhaps they should be because they don't want to take a risk and lose money. Yeah, and I wonder if that's maybe because I mean at the end of the day, Boyhood is two hours and you know forty odd minutes long. Mm. Um, and it's you know, it doesn't have I guess a conventional narrative structure in that you know, it basically follows follows a child growing from growing up from you know six to eighteen um, and becoming a man. Um, I mean, <laughs> come on, Stuart. You know how can the people of how can the people of Thanet relate to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a talking dog. Yeah, no, I don't think more... he even talks. Does oh no, he does talk. It's David Williams. Yeah, in real, I was thinking in real life. I was like, it doesn't talk. That's not why it won Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> no, they took some artistic liberties with the uh, <laughs> see, with the story for the film. Um, um, but just a quick couple of words about Boyhood because I don't want to rub it in. <laughs> I don't. I genuinely don't. Because I, I I don't know anything it's about. So don't like because I don't even know. I'm not. I know, yeah, I'm not going to give spoilers or anything like that. Um, I don't even know what the gist of it is. I just know that he he's about him. He filmed throughout his life. It yeah, took I mean, a long time to make. But I don't know what the plot is or what the point of it is. I really know nothing about it. And I think that's kind of the best way to go in because it is, it is genuinely moving. And sometimes it's harrowing. Sometimes it's you know joyful. Sometimes it's mm. you know laugh out loud funny. Um, it's an absolutely great cast. And the thing that's so good about it is that it kind of becomes more more than just a story about a kid growing up. It becomes about like how your parents, you know, how sort of parents grow up and in sort of line with their children and what happens once they grow up and move on and they're left in the house. It's about all, it's just about all sorts of things. It even sort of manages to kind of capture America and how America kind of changes over this course of, of, of 12, year, 12 years in terms of sort of politics and popular culture. And it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible piece of filmmaking. Um, and I don't want to say too much more because I think it'll spoil quite big chunks of it. Well, I'm sold. <laughs> Just angry at View Cinema for not for not getting it. Yeah. So I mean, oh. I hope you get to see it soon. Yeah, I think it'll be a. I'll buy it as soon as it's out on Blu-ray. I think the day it comes out. Yeah, it's it's stunning. It's um, I really want to go and see it. I still and I still can because it's still on in all the cinemas in Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping View will get it in for a senior screening. It's a I'm possibility. It is a yeah. possibility. You never know. Because they we we got Before Midnight, which is um, which was Richard Linklater's last yeah. film, was it? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it was and last that year. wasn't. Oh, well, it did get obviously it got similar amount of acclaim, but I would argue that Boyhood got a f- a greater deal of acclaim and marketing behind it. And yeah, publicity. because because before Midnight is a, the third entry in a series that not that many people are aware of. As Boyhood comes out with a really distinct like premise behind it, yeah, rave reviews. You know the fact that it makes news that it was doing so well financially mm-hmm. yeah. on its release. So you know there's. I'd say that uh, this surely would have more lure to a random moviegoer than Before Midnight. 
Well, exactly. But I mean, I think the thing is that it it kind of came out. I think just after Transformers. Yeah. So I have a funny feeling that from the point of view of a film buying idiot, um, for a a large cinema chain. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying a large. It's View. It's View Cinemas. View yeah, specifically the the film buyer for uh, Outer London. Um, so if you're listening, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, but uh, it's because you've got Transformers, which is actually exactly the same runtime. Yeah. And, you know, it's about robots punching other robots. But even that's two not hours done that well, apparently. And that's done, yeah, that's not done that, that great either. Um, but I think from their point of view, it's like, well, that's two screens that we're going to have where we can only fit in a certain number of screenings, so we're going to lose money out this way. So maybe we'll just go with the big fucking loud, punchy robot film, and we'll mm. just, you know, we won't do the interesting, the interesting film about, you know, about life and growth and everything else alongside. Yeah, it's the thing I don't get is they'll they'll have it they'll they'll look at their timetable and the, the length of films and they go look, Transformers we'll put Transformers on, in one screen and boyhood in another five people might go and see that boyhood but if we put another transformers on 10 people will go and see that but my yeah. point is like we've both worked in a cinema for a good amount of time oh people yeah, don't yeah randomly come in and go oh is there any chance transformers is on right this minute uh <laughs> and you go no you've missed it oh that's a shame they look at the times and they'll come at the time yeah. transformers is on so if you don't put transformers on and you put boyhood on all those people that would have gone into the other Transformers screen will just come an hour early or an hour later to go to the other screening. They'll come yeah. when it's you put that. it on. And you'll get, instead of having a, a, a two screens that are both a quarter full, you'll have one screen that's half full. Does that make sense? No, I know what and, you mean. And you could have more films and get more well, customers because then you've got boyhood customers coming who yeah. wouldn't have come to see Transformers. Well, I remember way back when I kind of first started out working in cinemas and Iron Man 2 came out. And um, I remember they had that. They had it. it was, so basically, you had Iron Man two at like say one o'clock and a half past one. So basically, what you had was instead of having about forty people in in the one o'clock screening, you had maybe tw- like thirty people in the one o'clock screening, and then ten people in the one thirty. Yeah. You know, it's it's. You, I know why they do it because they're like, well, if this sells out, then we've got another one straight after, and people won't go away and try and find it somewhere else. It's. Mm. I don't know. It's. Yeah, I don't quite under, and I'm not going to propose to understand how distribution and film buying and exhibition, you know, works at a core level. But I do think there is often very big mistakes made because people expect larger films to do better than they will, and they expect smaller films to do worse than they do. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah I think they kind of patronise their customers. Yeah. I think that's kind of the. Thing. I certainly feel patronised. Especially when I tweet view and they just go, "Oh, we're sorry, Stuart. We tried to get it, but we couldn't." Fuck off. And the th- the thing that is even more bizarre is that you know, with places like Margate and Ramsgate attracting more people from London, more sort of artists and you know, yeah, foodies for want of a better word, then surely these people are going to be more interested in in slightly more off the beaten track films, slightly more culty films, slightly more sort of independent films. You know what I mean? Yeah. There seems to be like a kind of it's that same thing that I think the main problem all multiplexes have, not just in terms of exhibition, in terms of, you know, in terms of the heating, is that it's all controlled by buildings uh, miles and miles away. Mm. 
which you could argue is a metaphor for the current state of the United Kingdom. <laughs> well, on that, <laughs> that uh, interesting nugget. Metaphor to another yeah. interesting metaphor, I guess. What's, what's Dawn that then? Dawn of the Planet of the oh, Apes. Yeah. So, uh, were you chimp-pressed? Chimp-pressed? Chimp, Alan, I admit that one's not great. Ooh, that's, do you want me to edit that one out? <laughs> no, no, I'll keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> For, you know, transparency so, and all that. It's a bad kind of one. <laughs> um, yeah, I was reasonably entertained uh, watching it. Um, my biggest gripe was the fact that there were three youths. <laughs> right. In the back. We're quite close to the back behind the VIP seats and there are three youths up in the back row making so much noise. Um, the animals. Animals. Fucking, they were worse than the animals on screen. Um the apes in that film had better But I suppose that's quite... Than no, that's quite apt, kids. though, because the, the message of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is that the real animals <laughs> are human beings. Yeah. They were making so much fucking noise, and it was during, like, quiet... They were on their phone, they're just talking loud. There's not, like, quiet, whispering voices. There were these yeah. kids that just fucking talk about nothing to do with the film. They're just in there fucking around. So I spent a good amount of the film um, just like fantasizing about kicking a teenager to death so i <laughs> i feel like i missed a lot of I, i'd need to i need to watch it again right because I, um, I had a weird audience experience yesterday i went to see um limelight which is one of charlie chaplin's later films uh at the film house yesterday and uh the film started and there was an old man in the front row and it was really quiet nobody was talking there was like a little bit of rustling um, but nothing like distracting or anything and he would he, he turned around about two or three times and just went Stop that. To you? No, to nobody in particular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he what? went, I've told you, stop that. And there was a woman kind of like a couple of seats to like his left behind him. But I said, like, well, she doesn't seem to be, she's just an old woman enjoying the film. Who's he, <laughs> who's he attacking here? I'm <laughs> very confused. Did you get to the bottom of it? Did he keep doing it? Or? No, he kind of stopped. So whoever was whoever in his fucking head was annoying him has clearly stopped. <laughs> he's, he's like, yeah, they got the message. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Uh, Not um, to mention you had a guy eating a quiche rattling oh, his cutlery around. Yeah, I went to see Chinatown and uh, just two minutes before the, the lights go down for the trailers, I see a guy clattering in with like a little plastic cup of wine uh, a paper plate with a like a big slice of quiche on it, uh, and like a knife and fork that are kind of clattering along as he kind of wrestles his way to the front of the screen. So you don't you don't need a knife for one slice of quiche. Just use the fucking fork. Just, well, yeah, exactly. Just, just you can cut it with the edge of the fork and then stab it, eat it. You don't need yeah. a fucking knife and fork. If you must bring in a meal in at the cinema yeah. with silverware, just bring the fork. It's not yeah. like, oh, I must, I must use a knife and fork. It's it's just manners. It's like, you're fucking going into a cinema eating quiche with a fucking bit of wine in a plastic bowl. Bizarre. It's hardly the most... Utterly bizarre. You're, no one's going to be judging your table manners if you only use a fork. But anyway, these fucking animals aside, uh, the, the animals in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, I think are the best thing in it. I think... You, um, you seem to get quite... I got the impression that you are quite upset afterwards like you didn't like it it's not that i was upset i mean i i mean i enjoyed it fine um i think it's just my main problem with it is kind of like i was sitting there watching it 
And I was like, can we just get to the bit where they blow up the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> you know? Like, it's kind of that, it's just, it's there's nothing kind of, with the exception of the sort of technological side of it. I don't, it's a very ordinary film. You know, there's nothing kind of, mm. like the metaphors in it are just all very tried and tested. You know, it's all it's all that typical thing of like, oh, you know, the real monsters are ourselves. Or, you know, it's, it's all well, just really kind of, that kind of ties in for me with one of the big problems of it. For, well, not problems, but it's just something I wasn't expecting and I sort of become a bit disillusioned with it about halfway in. I think it starts off really well. I think maybe the first half hour or an hour is the most interesting yeah, no, bit of the I, film. Yeah. Where it's, it's just drama. There's not loads of action. It's just this drama and you've got this kind of standoff between the humans and the apes. Mm-hmm. The humans need to use the generator and they, you know, they both sense that they're on the brink of a war. And I liked that sort of standoffish tension and you've got like Gary Oldman's characters sort of you've got the uh, the ape equivalent and they're both kind of eager for war and then two of the equivalent characters are sort of they're trying to keep things peaceful. They would rather yeah. have peace than war. And I liked the, the dynamic there and the things that were happening and the conversations that were being had, the themes that were being explored. Mm-hmm. But I really found it odd when it turns out that it was the apes that start the war. I found that a really bizarre choice to put the way to have it in the story because the whole point surely of having the whole story of um planet of the apes is about you know humans are a dominant species i mean like the original planet of the apes i imagine i haven't seen it but i imagine like most good sci-fis they have a sort of um they explore an issue through that science fiction Uh theme the 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 issue being that you know humans are the dominant race what if humans were suddenly not the dominant race and and a human was being treated like a like a second class species yeah. uh, and being uh, uh, being treated with prejudice and you know like we test and this is this is a theme that I thought was done really well in Rise of the Planet of the Apes like mm-hmm. we yeah. tr- we test products on animals like they're nothing like they're you know uh, we don't treat other species with the same amount of respect we treat each other what if that's reversed and that's that you know those apes taken over it's all sort yeah. of you know it dealt with those things really well so it would have surely made so much more sense if this you know it's humans in in dawn of the planet of the apes it's the humans that they bring it on themselves. start that war and it's got a much more poignant message that it's actually humans bring about their own downfall their arrogance that they can defeat any enemy and their humans eagerness to go to war brings mm. about their downfall because you know that that's what happens you know yeah. that the that apes do win i just thought it was really bizarre that it didn't do that and to have the apes it kind of makes it like oh yeah it was humans it wasn't our fault at the end of the day there was nothing we could do it was really fucking weird i didn't understand that um that narrative choice to do that and i sort of lost fell out of favor with the film a little bit because of that yeah i know what you mean i mean for me i kind of lost interest with it when all the when i kind of got to the point where i was kind of like none of the human characters have any kind of depth or nuance to them and for the whole conceit of the film to work you need to believe that gary oldman and um the other guy can't remember his bloody name now but um that those two are basically the human equivalents of uh coba and caesar but the thing is you're never given enough time with gary oldman for that to even register it's only at the end where they're both having a, a confrontation like all right so yeah basically this is just a parallel to what's happening in the human side yeah it's like you have to be kind of told these things rather than shown yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, it wasn't really a problem for me. I mean, I know it, it could have been done better. I'll, I'll agree, definitely, that the human characters could have had more 
depth and could have been explored a lot more because there's there's large chunks of the film where Gary Oldman's just not really in it. Once they go yeah. to the woods, you don't really see that much of what's happening back there. Um, but yeah, the whole thing about that we've got to get the generator work and we've got to get the power because if we don't, we're all going to die. Um, we need to get that power working so that we can contact, help, see if there's other survivors. That that drive, the need for getting that generator was there. It might not have been done is executed as well as it could have been but it was it was there it wasn't just the characters like Gary Oldman's character they weren't and Cobra as well they weren't so two-dimensional that it's just like well we want to have a war for no particular yeah. reason at all it, it, you know they were kind of well written it could they obviously could have no, been I'm not saying Cobra better, wasn't well written I'm just saying Gary Oldman you're not giving enough time with him no. for the character to develop for him to seem like basically Cobra's equivalent you know he's the one that would like oh, yeah, given a chance yeah. would start the war on the human side it's like well yeah probably but why <laughs> you know um yeah. but i mean like i say i think toby kebble and andy circus are definitely the best thing in it oh um, yeah absolutely for you know you forget that you're watching cgi apes yeah um, for the vast majority of the film you you completely forget because they're their facial expressions like especially caesar you know that that he can so much expression and and you can read so much from just one facial expression, yeah. Uh, especially when someone like Cobra like speaks out of line, he'll give them this glare, yeah. That sh- you know that tells you everything you need to know without any dialogue. And for for CGI characters to do that, that's really that's quite impressive, I think. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. So yeah, I guess. Oh, the other actually, my only other kind of, and it's not it's not really a, a serious criticism, but it's like it is unrelentingly serious. Like, to the point that, you know, you've got, like, the slow motion shots of all these monkeys on horses, uh, like, and all this serious music as if you're watching, like, Saving Private Ryan or something. It's monkeys <laughs> riding horses. Come on. Just have yeah, a bit of fun I've, I've no problem with uh, a blockbuster taking itself seriously. I'd rather something took itself too seriously than not take itself <coughs> seriously enough. But, yeah, when he's riding on a horse dual wielding assault rifles and not getting shot or without fear of being shot I was like is this daft is this too stupid <laughs> it was that's another thing like I, I enjoyed the first half of the film a lot and then the second yeah. half became very very action orientated to the point where like the the final fight scene between Cobra and Caesar I just felt like it went on way longer than it than yeah. it needed to um it it did sort of seem to sacrifice character for action, which yeah. was a shame. Which is why I think I preferred the original. I think it had a really good balance. Oh, and definitely. even when even when there was action occurring, it was it was still driving the plot forward. It was still you know like yeah, and it was all kind of contained. It never felt like it was like that kind of kind of man of steel, I guess, kind of like yeah. really overblown action. You know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it showed it showed you it depicted like you know when the apes were confronting humans, they were making sort of choices like whether to let that um this head scientist guy the guy who ran the company like he was on the edge of the golden gate bridge in the helicopter pleading for his life you know Uh one of the apes decides whether or not to let him live then that decision that they're making this is like it's plot development you're realizing just how it's them it's about them gaining power and having control over humans lives instead of the other way around and all these sort of things that are happening in the action sequences they're really important to the narrative whereas in dawn of the apes it's all building up to a big fight and then it's like Right, now the fight starts. And the film kind of yeah. stops while there's a 30-minute action sequence. So, I yeah, I enjoyed it, but I did think Rise of the Apes was a better film. Yeah. I mean, I, like I say, I like to find... I don't think that it necessarily pulls off its themes 100% successfully. And I would say, 
that some of the seriousness uh, goes down a bit like a lead baboon. Lead baboon! <laughs> yes! That's uh, the best one, and I didn't even write it. Uh, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I was I was reading, uh, not reading, I was watching the Red Letter Media review of it, and they made some good points, because I was thinking of all these things that were, why it wasn't quite as good as it could have been, but... They were saying that like, if you think of how bad it could have been, like how bad the characters could have been, and how yeah. bad the plot and everything in it, it's like yeah. When you think about you know monkeys having a war with humans, it could have been so fucking bad, and it wasn't. So well, talking yeah. about post-apocalyptic satires that could have been absolutely fucking terrible. Shall we move on to the purge anarchy? Yeah, go on then. Nice yeah. transition. Thanks. Um, so, the, the Purge Anarchy, sequel to The Purge, um, yeah. which we didn't... Oh, no, we did discuss, didn't we, on our last... Was it our last ever one? But when, well, there was originally our last ever podcast, and then we brought it back. Um, I don't know, did we... We talked about it. And, we definitely talked about it. But then, and you I, put it, then you put it in your top five worst of the year. So, yeah. you, you spoke about it sort of twice, didn't you? I did, yeah. Well, because the thing is, for me, I mean, obviously, if you don't know, the, the idea of The Purge is that at some point in the future um to kind of what's it to kind of improve our economy and society the government come up with one day of the year where you can purge yourself and you can commit crimes and you won't be punished isn't it like um, the new the new founding, the new fathers? founding fathers so it's like a new it. kind yeah. of it implies that there's a sort of new sort of system of government in place maybe or yeah in america something profoundly yeah. significant has happened to american politics and government yeah. and they've yeah they've introduced this law that you for 12 hours you can do any whatever you want any crimes legal and the idea is that it uh implies that there's a an instinctive desire to commit crime or, or do violent things uh in human nature and by allowing us to purge ourselves of our sins once a year it reduces crime for the rest yeah. of the time and it's really good for the economy it's good for everything um if you can get past the sheer how Ill- how illogical that is! <laughs> well, if the you thing just is, I mean, forget about that. It's quite an interesting premise. Yeah, it is quite an interesting premise, and obviously the idea uh, that you kind of it kind of touches upon in the first one, which I found incredibly disappointing because it takes that premise and just kind of turns it into like a house invasion horror film. Yeah, um, which is just really kind of boring. And... But a really, really cliched, yeah, boring, badly written, um, awful home invasion movie like everything you've seen before 10 times but just just done again uh-huh. and, and it did nothing with its premise and you, yeah i didn't like it and you really really hated it um yeah but then so i was kind of willing to give it another chance because you know I, I still think it's a good premise yeah so the purge anarchy which uh gives us a kind of wider look at what the purge entails by kind of giving us I guess a more open world look at, at, at a day. Um, however, I still think it kind of it's better. I would definitely say it's definitely better than the approach. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it is a vast improvement. It's still not great. Um, I mean, I still think it is quite lazy in its kind of characterization and script 
I mean, you've kind of got, I mean, the main, because it's kind of three disparate groups that are kind of brought together over the course of the film. So you've got the the young couple who are on the verge of like a divorce that are brought together again in harrowing circumstances. Uh, yeah. the, the tortured anti-hero that's had some tragic thing happen to him in his past. Uh, and then the hardworking mother and her politically savvy teenage daughter. It's, it, you know, it's kind of pretty much archetypal <laughs> characters. There's no kind of depth to them. Um mm. But in terms of what it does to kind of create the world and kind of, you know, that whole world building thing, I think it it does kind of come on in spades because I think I think the criticism you had in the last one was that uh, the villains in it kind of just came across as really demonic. Yeah, like, it's kind of weird. Like they're kind, kind of, of possessed and yeah. they act in a really weird fashion. Whereas um, this, it's a bit more. You've got kind of different levels of kind of how people purge. Like you've got the. Yeah. Just the ga- the gangs and sort of masks and sort of war paint and stuff like that, who kind of are going for it in that way, uh, or the or the army, um, or the or the rich people, or just the solitary maniacs on like rooftops with sniper rifles and stuff like that. So yeah, it it does feel a bit more human this time around. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, way. definitely. But it's it does still some of those things I didn't like about the first one do creep back into this one every now and then. The fact yeah. that especially in the masked gangs that you know. W- this couple were inexplicably being chased and followed the whole way through an entire, all of downtown LA. Yeah. Um, these masked people just keep finding them every time they turn around. It's like, oh no, they're behind us again. It's like, how can they fucking <laughs> yeah. follow you, man? This is an, an entire city. And when they do find them, they don't just sort of like appear. You'll see them on the horizon, like all these, the vans yeah. and all these bikes, they'll roll up and they'll just stop on the horizon going, looking menacing <laughs> to give the, the people running away time to see them and go oh my god it's they're there and they start running again it's <laughs> yeah. like just behaving like 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 they're consciously aware that they're in a horror movie it's like oh let's just stop here so they, they can get a good <laughs> shot of us and it will look really intimidating if we wait here for 30 seconds let's go now <laughs> um yeah apart from that it is definitely better i agree there's by ex- opening it up outside of the house you get to see different even if only briefly you get to see different ways in which different kind of characters behave in that world yeah. under that premise and yeah you just it's I don't know how to explain it really you just it's just more interesting there's more interesting things to see um, more interesting situations for them to get themselves because in the first one there's a one trick pony it's about them stuck in a house invasion yeah in this one they get themselves into all sorts of different situations so it's just as a film it just works better there's more happening it's more interesting definitely um while you don't really care about the characters, that you know, the what they're doing, what they're going through, it is compelling enough for you to be entertained or not, you know, or distracted for two hours. Whereas the first one, I just couldn't wait for it to finish. It was boring. Yes, definitely. Yeah, you were never bored with this one. That's no. that's I think the key thing. And then um, obviously, the, I think they are kind of obviously building this kind of story running through it that the because the whole thing is that it benefits the rich because the rich can afford to protect their houses and themselves um because they can sort of buy expensive panic rooms lock themselves in you know and and it's all fine whereas the you know the poor can't do that they can't afford to kind of arm themselves and come up with these like fancy you know shutters that come down and completely lock down the house yeah and they're kind of left to fend for themselves um so it's this kind of idea that they're going to sort of turn the tide and kind of fight back. But I would argue that that's been done much more effectively in stuff like the Hunger Games um, or Snowpiercer 
uh, which is out hopefully, hopefully out in the UK this year. Um, that whole idea that you know utopian societies that only benefit the rich, so you've got to kind of rise up and and sort of fight back thing. thing. Um, yeah, definitely, because it's it's always with these sort of themes about how that the purge it meant it has little snippets of dialogue where they you hear like the the poor aren't purging the the way they're expected to. Um, yeah. The, the media says that yeah, it's really good, blah blah blah. You're told all of this, but actually, the number of people that purge is going down each year. Like poor people aren't killing each other the way they should. So government teams are being deployed to go around killing people to make yeah. it look a certain way to encourage other people to do it um it, it's all sort of it starts to touch upon these themes about you know how there's some sort of government system in place that has the poor destroy each other yeah while the rich are safely on top and it's like you say it's not explored well enough in the film for it to really say much interesting whereas other films have done it yeah a lot better i mean snowpiercer especially actually um there's other um and is it Andrew Nichol who did In Time? And it's not a particularly yeah, good film, so, yeah. but the premise is really interesting. That whole premise about, you know, how, of like the pyramid, that, you know, the rich on top, the rich being safe and untouchable, while the poor die regularly and, and the poor yeah. need to die. Like if the poor, if poor people didn't, I mean, this is in the in the film, but it's basically, like, yeah. you know, poor people have to be poor for in, in order for, for the rich to be rich. It's how the system works. And if you change that, the whole system would collapse. And it's, you know, it's again it's just the same similar sort of idea that's being explored in the purge but yeah. done a lot better so it's like i kind of wish that the purge didn't try to explore all these sort of interesting social economic themes because it just fucking fumbles it doesn't really know what to do with them i'd rather it just didn't bother and just had a cool yeah, I mean, action or horror film yeah instead its intentions are good but yeah it does you're right it does kind of fumble them and um you know, leave it up to the big boys, sort of thing. You know, it's kind of just stick to what you're doing. You know, the kind of because there is some proper, proper kind of nastiness in this. I think it would um, be better if if it was exploring just human nature. If it just tapped into that yeah. thing, because it's at its most interesting when you have those moments like where um, the the mother and her daughter, then their drunken neighbour bursts in. Yeah. And he's exploding at them, and he's gonna he's telling them he's gonna kill him. That was a really quite you know tense scene yeah, you know how they were going to get out of it. It, it there's there's no social political undertones bullshit going on it's just about the characters and that that human nature yeah. like what would a certain kind of person a certain in our society now what how would they react on that night in that situation mm-hmm. if they could do what they wanted you know that's when the purge is at its most interesting and all the stuff with um omar from the wire is this sort yeah. of um, rebel leader that's fighting against the oppressors it's boring man their whole speech oh, come when on. he comes in it's nice to see Omar in that a film that bit where Omar's coming I was like yes <laughs> now we're talking I was like yes and then by the end I was like Ugh, that was a shame because he didn't really say anything particularly interesting because you know that's the film's weakest point is it's um, all, the, all that yeah. political bollocks but again I don't, I, don't, I don't know if the writing whoever wrote it is uh, competent enough to deal with human nature that well because I noticed a lot of the rich the same with the last one that the characters start acting weird you know like that auction of the rich people Mm -hmm. they act really just sort of like really weird you know what I mean they just it's not enough you know to show that rich people are treating poor people as if they're you know subhuman yeah they have to make them all dress a certain way and act a really sort of possessed sort of insanely posh I did it's just I mean I felt that they were kind of a bit more disconnected from society 
as I guess you kind of would be if you were kind of growing up, well, not growing up, but if you were kind of living in that kind of society that maybe you would become more and more removed from from the poor, but maybe I'm... It's just the fact that they, they act, like, overtly sinister, like, and, and overtly sort of, um, just yeah, just, like, creepy and weird. It's the same way, yeah. you remember, like, the neighbours uh, in the first film at the end, the yeah. neighbours came in and they all started acting like... It's like, are you, like, possessed? Are you acting like... <laughs> suddenly looked like a real person and just like this caricature sort of evil villain and it's kind of how some of the rich people were acting in in the auction bit yeah in the second okay, one yeah, I, like, I don't know it's a it's a minor gripe it didn't really affect the film in any big way well fair enough um but it was yeah. better it was surprising, it's better. I mean, surprisingly maybe the third good one, maybe the third one will be even better still let's hope so because <laughs> it's a good it is a good premise it could it do is. something interesting but yeah i definitely think it's one that's most interesting when it's about the humans and the characters. So hopefully they'll do that for the third one. We'll stick to that. Yeah. yeah so, although, I, judging by the way this one ends, yeah. I'm kind of thinking they, they're not going to do that. <laughs> I doubt it as well. So, um, I guess that's... It's probably about time we talk about... <sighs> I've kind of been dreading this. Begin again. <laughs> uh... Hang on, let me get my notes. Oh, he's got his notes. I wish I'd done my notes. I've only done notes because it's been a while since I watched it. Yeah, it's been a while since. Look, I didn't hate it. Like I, got, I think a lot of people got the impression that I hated it. Um, yeah. Which isn't true. I think I just... Remember everything I loved about Chef? Yes. And how I was like, oh, you could, you could look at it really cynically and be really cynical about lots of things in Chef, but you weren't. In Begin Again, I was. All those things I was really cynical about. And I just didn't, it didn't wash with me. I was having none of it. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. This is all bollocks. You know, I don't know. That's I was weird. Just very cynical throughout. I didn't. Because the thing is, I found both Chef and Begin Again perfectly enjoyable, kind of light throwaway films. <laughs> um, and obviously, I know Chef kind of had a slightly more profound effect on you than it did on me. And, and maybe that's, you know, that's why. Um, but I mean, for the uninitiated, Begin Again is. Uh, about uh, oh, sorry, just, just trying to remember what it's about now. Well, it's uh, Chef. It is. It is the it's same chef film as Chef. Music, essentially. You know, Mark Ruffalo yeah. is a, a record executive who's kind of fallen on hard times. Is drinking too much. Uh, is fired from his job. Goes to a bar, sees Kira Knightley, who is a singer, who is also kind of fallen on hard times. Her boyfriend is, you know, who is a very famous musician, has cheated on her and, and they've broken up and she's about to move back to England. Uh, and he hears her sing and he wants to make a record with her and, and you know, that's kind of how it, how it works. Um, I mean, my, ma- my major criticism of the film is that for a film that is about recording an album and about kind of how music can kind of save your life or like how music you know can have this kind of profound effect on you the songs are a bit twee and uninspiring yeah which is kind of unforgivable you know for a for a film that that has music as its kind of core thing yeah definitely. but then maybe it isn't maybe it isn't about music maybe it's i mean it is but maybe it isn't maybe you know you could be you know be nice to sort of say that it's more about kind of two people who kind of through this mutual appreciation of something, kind of help themselves, you know, find themselves again and kind of become better people. And he can be a father and a husband again, and she can be, you know, the the, the artist that she's always wanted to be. Yeah, it, it, you're right. I mean, it is. It's not about the specifically the music in the film, but it is yeah. about how generally how music can touch people's lives and uh, and 
you know it's music as art music brings yeah. people together um it you can learn from it and grow from it it's all the same sort of things that food was in chef mm-hmm. but you're right like when the music's not that good it's you just kind of think oh yeah. a bunch of like self-absorbed musicians all fucking up their own ass when they're playing this shitty music <laughs> yeah i mean i think that that is the main the main problem with it um i mean there's just and also like there's kind of moments where you kind of feel that they're kind of over-egging this sort of sexual tension between kira knightley and mark ruffalo yeah like it never feels like it should be a romantic relationship but there's always this kind of slight oh Maybe we will. No, we won't. See, the reason I didn't think that much of it and why I wasn't, you know, wasn't taken with it was, um, it's because it is exactly the same film as Chef. It's like you say, uh, a guy who ostensibly has the perfect job that is what he's yeah. good at, is what he's wanted to do, but he's not happy, he's unfulfilled. He loses his job in a spectacular fashion by committing yeah. like career suicide. While he's, you know, down and out, he embarks on something that's a personal project there's no money in it but it's sort of fulfilling and he starts to find joy and it does really well and at the same time he reconnects with a a sort of estranged child gets back with his ex-wife and in the end the person that was like his biggest doubter ends up sort of he gets their, you know, like endorsement again. Yeah. So in, in, in Chef, it's the the restaurant critic ends up opening a restaurant with him. And this guy, this is the guy who fired him, ends up get, giving him his job back. Um, so, you know, it's just like, it's the same film as it Chef. Is, yeah. um, except it's got a Keira Knightley, Keira Knightley character in there, with, which is a bit different. But the thing with Chef, if you look at every plot point, because they're all the same, so you can look at every plot point, and in Chef, yeah. I feel like it's done really well, so you look at like, when he reconnects with his son, all those experiences with his son, are really touching, there's there's genuinely yeah. heartfelt moments with his son, so when they do sort of reconnect at the end, it really means something, in um, Begin Again, she just fucking knocks around, she just goes to a couple of parties and gigs that they have, and then suddenly they're their relationships all repaired. Yeah, you're not actually shown it that when he gets back with his wife at the end of Chef, it makes perfect sense because he's become a, a better person. He but, gets back gets back with his wife in uh, Begin Again because Kira Knightley sends him a reminder that they did once get on quite well. Now, oh yeah, yeah, let's just get back together. It nothing makes any sense in it. It's all just. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I think the problem. I think the problem it has in kind of in terms of getting him back with his wife getting him back with his daughter is that you're also kind of balancing Kira Knightley's story as well so that it doesn't kind of give itself enough time to kind of give both the the attention and care that perhaps the, the narrative kind of deserves so like because yeah. you're kind of constantly flitting back between oh will she get back with I've just got written down here the cunt from Maroon 5 yeah <laughs> pretty pretty um, but will she will she get back with him uh, or you know, or will she sort of break out on her own? And so you're kind of balancing that with, oh, will he get back with his wife, and will he become yeah. a good? Um, I, I didn't admit, really care though. Man. Yeah, I, I mean, care. it's it's charming and engaging enough, but yeah, I didn't really, you know, I didn't come out of it and go, yeah, that's you know, I didn't think about it long after the the credits are rolled. Put it that way. Yeah, see, so like Chef, I did. I thought, you know, I thought it was a really good, feel good, fun film. Was Begin Again? I didn't think it was feel good. It took like. It took itself bizarrely seriously for like the first half hours. Like, God, this is fucking depressing because you got uh, Mark Ruffalo like drunk, losing his job in front of his in front of his kids. Um, yeah. He's like an alcoholic, so you see him like swigging whiskey out of a hip flask and then picking yeah. up his daughter from school driving. It's like, oh, that's that's good. He's a drink <laughs> yeah. driver with his kid in the car. No big deal. You know, his his kid hates him like overtly. He's that sort of. She's the same bratty kid from uh, Three Days to Kill, by the way. 
Oh, is so she? As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, this fucking brat again. Acting like a brat again. <laughs> I was like, I can't fucking get away from this kid. Um, so, yeah, she like overtly just doesn't like him and, oh, you're a crap dad and all of that stuff. I was like, at least in Chef, like the kid really looks up to his dad and it's, they, have, they don't have a you know, overtly dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. It's just like, he was just really miserable. He's arguing with his wife. They're having massive arguments. And then he's drunk and Kira Knightley wants to kill herself because she's split up with Adam Levine. I was just like, bloody hell, this is miserable. And then it all starts, when they all start playing music, it was suddenly really sort of like happy and, they were, you know, they're playing gigs in the street. I was just like, yeah. fucking, I don't know. I just wasn't going <laughs> into it. I was really cynical the whole way through Fair it. Enough. It felt like, you know, again, like, well, I wasn't cynical about the Twitter stuff in Chef, but in this, I was really cynical. It was like, oh, it's just, it felt like an excuse to have pop stars on screen. Um, like, there's a scene where Adam Levine's doing a rehearsal of one of his songs in the studio. It, it, you don't need to hear him doing yeah. a take of the song for two minutes. It's just <laughs> in there because it's Adam Levine. You know, the film stops to have Adam Levine sing for two minutes and yeah. all, all of that kind of stuff. CeeLo Green's in there. Moz Def is the music label uh, yeah. boss for no real reason just well he's an actor celebrity. as well yeah I suppose but I know what you be. mean but you know yeah I just felt really cynical about the whole thing and it felt like a really heartless film it had no heart I like don't Chef know did. that's true wasn't particular. I didn't find it did you find it funny because I asked Jason yeah, so, did you actually find it funny he's like no I don't think it's a comedy he's like, yeah, but there it's was not a couple of laughs in there I can't remember dramatic enough to be a drama them, but <laughs> I, I think I laughed. Mark Ruffalo's good. I just want to be like Mark Ruffalo's pal. He's a nice. He seems like a nice guy. You know, don't get me wrong. The performances in it are earnest. There's nothing. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the performances and that. Kira Knightley. Was, I don't think I like Kira Knightley that much, <laughs> but sh- she wasn't bad in it. Like she's no, got she's a nice right. voice. Um, yeah. Even James Corden wasn't as unbearable I as I thought Who'd he might thought? be. <laughs> Not to say I liked him in it. But he wasn't as unbearable yeah. as I thought he might be. Catherine Keener is always nice to see in a film. Um, yes. Yeah, I just I came out. I mean, you you do like to call me a joyless cunt, and I did come out <laughs> feeling a bit like a joyless cunt because just wasn't that into it. Fair enough. I tell you, the biggest laugh actually I got in the film. Two actually, there's two moments that just really made me laugh. Uh, probably not for the right reasons. Like they do this big speech about how are oh, we going to do like we're going to perform just in the street and all the city noise all the sounds whatever that's just going to be part of the soundtrack and I was like oh that's a cool idea and the first and then it cuts to like their first gig that they're doing and as soon as it starts on and the white goes oh there's some kids playing down there in the street and they run over what kids you need to shut the fuck up if I give you money will you be quiet so I was, thought the whole point was that you would have that sort of thing yeah. in there uh, and then the second bit was his daughter you're told like you're explicitly told daughter's shit on guitar she's awful like she can't play what are you thinking bringing her along to the gig so they bring her along and he's like play guitar play guitar and she's like no oh, no i won't i probably won't no 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 and she finally gets up goes straight into like a guitar solo yeah. it's like fucking completely dominates the, the last <laughs> half of the song steals all the fucking limelight i says what is this fucking stuff? oh it's hilarious <laughs> they, they were the bits that made me laugh I can't remember. I remember laughing, but I don't remember what that. Probably Mark Ruffalo being drunk and depressed. Because <laughs> he kind of does it in a charming, funny way. As I think yeah. I, I do when that happens. Um, moving well, like, swiftly it's, on. It's like, yeah, he's not a dislikable character. Because when he's, it was only afterwards I noticed he was drink driving with his kid in the car. Yeah. I wasn't like, oh no, I don't like this guy. <laughs> this awful human being. He Mark Ruffalo gets away with it. 
So testament, yeah. testament to him. But yeah, let's let's move on. Let's move on to the big release of technically August, but it came out on the thirty first of July. So we're gonna talk yeah. about it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, exciting. Well, was it was it exciting? What did you think? I of it, loved it. <laughs> Absolutely, cool. I really really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of I was saying this to somebody the other day that um, it's kind of nice that obviously Serenity aside, um, that we've got like a fun space adventure film. You know, because, yeah. you know, since the Star Wars prequels and John Carter and Mars and all that, it's always been this kind of really boring, fair enough, it's it's looked nice, it's, you know, and the worlds that they create are very impressive, but there's just weighed down by this, like, exposition and just the, what I think the, the Star Wars prequels in particular kind of forget is that the thing that everybody loves about the original, the original trilogy is the characters. Yeah. And what they do with the prequel trilogy is they go, oh, well, you know, people love the, 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 the sort of story and the arc, so let's just do loads of exposition and loads of backstory and mythology. And it's like, well, that's not mm. interesting. And it's the same thing people like make a mistake, well, they made a mistake with when they brought back Doctor Who the first time in 96. It's like, oh, yeah, people love all that kind of Time Lord mythology. No, they don't. They love the guy that turns up and just has adventures. And I think that's what Guardians of the Galaxy, yes, there is some clunky exposition in there, certainly at kind of sort of the midway point but it's really fun <laughs> and the characters are all brilliant um it's yeah it's it's really really good yeah it's definitely the most um unabashedly is that a word unabashedly yeah, unashamed, yeah, unashamedly, yeah. unashamedly yeah it's the most unashamedly comic book film of the um of the marvel series so far i think because mm. it it is over the top it is fun it does all kinds of wacky stuff that just doesn't that wouldn't work in the Avengers films because even yeah. they're they're very grounded in that sort of realistic approach to how you treat a superhero film like in a believable yeah. real world environment. This isn't. It's got crazy aliens and crazy characters, wacky jokes, and it's like you mean. I, I get it. it. Is just one of those fun space movies, much like yeah. Star Wars was. Used I guess. to be. Used, used to be. <laughs> Um, so yeah it was fun to watch I didn't dislike anything about it there's nothing right. in it for me to dislike but I wasn't quite as um, I wasn't as impressed with it as I was when when the other Marvel films when they're at their best I think they're uh-huh. really competent and I didn't think Guardians of the Galaxy uh, really? quite reached those peaks well the thing with the Avengers films is they always for me sit in two boats like crap or really really good I've not uh-huh. seen one that. well maybe the first Captain America is the only one that I thought yeah it was quite good it wasn't amazing but it was quite uh-huh. good all the others just seem to be crap or really good and Guardians of the Galaxy was sort of like I, I get what it was going for I don't uh-huh. think it always quite reached okay. its stride like um, I don't think it's as funny as it not thought it was going to be. There's no arrogance about it, but I don't think it was as funny as it hoped it would be. Like, not all of the jokes work that well. I think then. there's a lot of jokes that kind of uh, centre around a character not understanding irony or metaphors yeah. or, you know, because they're aliens. <laughs> you know, that kind of... There's a lot of that, certainly with um, the wrestler Batista. Uh, his a lot of his basically most of his jokes are based around that. Um, yeah, I thought he was one of the funnier characters. He's actually. great, I but mean, I mean, um, there's only so many times you know Root can say, "I am Root." Before I'm just like, "Yeah, Groot, it's, it's Groot, man." It's, and he says it Groot, in lots sorry, of yeah. different ways. He's great. Yeah, but by the tenth time he said it, I was like, "It's not that funny anymore." And um, yeah, but come on, you must have shed a tear when he goes, "We are Groot." 
I didn't shed a tear. It was a, it was a nice line. It was a nice moment. Um, while Rocky had some great lines, is it Rocky? Rocket. Rocket. While he had some great lines, I'd be lying if I said that I thought he was really great the whole way through it. Like sometimes when he was trying to make like a funny line or something, it just wasn't that funny. I don't know. I just didn't think every joke hit. Um, hmm. Well, well it's, again, it's not the, like I disliked it. The solo IMAX screening I was in t- tends to disagree with you, I'm afraid. I was at a staff showing, so, you know, there was not... I guess the more people around you laughing, the funnier it makes something. So that's that's always yeah. uh, I mean, a part of it. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, a staff showing at that place. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You know? there, was some, there was some mild laughs, but there was nothing... Um... They've been working for a view, view too long. They've lost their sense of humour. That's the... <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a problem. They're all burnt, they're all burnt out. Yeah, it's tragic. It's sad. But you know, I did, I did really like it. There's a lot to like about it, and um, I thought it did a really impressive job, actually, of considering Avengers brought together uh, a, like five characters or, or something, was it that had all had their own films for you or to get to know them in? in. Yeah, yeah. For that, for it to put like five characters together who you've never seen before, and to make it work and build like a chemistry up, uh, I thought it did a fantastic job. Yeah, definitely. Really, really impressive. Because um, I liked those characters. And by the end of it, I thought they all worked really well together. Yeah. Um, I liked their sort of dysfunctional relationship. Though They're not all best friends. And it's a kind yeah. of... That worked really well. And I think I'd actually be really excited about a sequel. Because I think now that those characters are established. And you get that they're, all their relationships with each other have been established. I think a sequel could work really well. Where you're, yeah. you know, you're already more comfortable as soon as you start... Um, definitely I think it's really it's. I'm really really looking forward to that um, I think that's going to be I think it's it's definitely going to be a really interesting franchise the Guardians of the Galaxy ones it, and part of me kind of hopes that they don't I mean they are because you've had the whole Infinity Gems thing yeah. that's quite a key part of the of the storyline and, and Thanos and all that kind of thing but you kind of kind of want them to just kind of be in their own little you know world in their own little franchise and having their own adventures without kind of having to kind of hark back to what's going on back on Earth in the sort of Earth-based Marvel films. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think it would lose something if it had to, if it did cross over into that sort of our, our world, if you like, yeah. our realistic world. Um, but, you know, I, and I was surprised that it had so much to do with the Marvel. Like, if if you if you want, if you're following the Marvel Universe normally, that, you know, yeah. you need to see this to understand, I imagine, what's going to happen in future Films yeah, because so, yeah. it does have a lot to do with like it introduces a new Infinity Stone. It's got Thanos and all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's I was surprised at how much it had to do with it. And I th- um, I think my one criticism is actually kind of tied in with Thanos, not him because I thought he was he in the short time you're with him. I think is, is he's going to be great when you get a full film with with him mm. in it. Um, but I think the villains, and I think this is a, a broader criticism of all Marvel films, um, like the Chris Nolan Batman films. Are kind of I think your go-to like kind of comic book film way of doing villains because mm. even even like the weaker ones like Bane like uh, Ra's al Ghul they're all they all feel like proper developed characters in those Nolan films. Yeah. Whereas I think in in this Ronan the Accuser he's not that well developed he's not that deep a character he's just like oh I want to destroy this planet because my people have been at war with their people for years yeah. and that's kind of it. And, because you because know, he can, it's yeah. like sort of. It was a lot. I heard a lot of people criticizing it, comparing it to Thor two. It just has a kind of copy and paste villain, yeah, um, 
who just wants to destroy the world. And yeah, I agree with you about the the thing. I lo- I sung the praises of Batman films before because their villains actually they stand for something in terms yeah. of the theme. What the theme of the film or the yeah, plot is an about. integral part of the film. Because Batman's all about an ideology, and those those villains stand for you know some sort of conflicting ideology or something. Yeah. And it's they explore interesting ideas. And yeah, when you've got and and Loki, I think did that in a in a. That's why yeah, Loki I think Loki's was so the popular. exception. I think. Yeah. But yeah, those Marvel films are at their weakest when they just have these sort of cookie cutter villains that don't really, you know, have much character, much depth or motivation. Yeah. Yeah. But I did, I was impressed with um, the fact that, because one of the biggest things I found wrong with Thor, particularly the first one, is that it's set in a fantasy setting, Uh you know, away from our world. Uh, So when their world's at stake, I don't really care because it's so alien to me. I don't know. Yeah. It's not Earth, I guess, in a way, so I didn't really care that much. But this one did a good job of making you care. Like, I, you know, you did feel... Um, it's because it's got John C. Of... Riley on the planet, and you're like, exactly. yeah. I think that must be it. <laughs> I think it must, that must be a massive part of it. he's fucking brilliant and everything. Yeah. But yeah, you didn't want you didn't want him to get... And maybe maybe it's because you know he's got an Infinity Stone, and you know you're reminded of the, the, the further further consequences Consequ- yeah. of he, if he continues his domination it will end up getting to Earth or whatever. But yeah, you didn't want him to succeed and there was a there was a sort of real threat and a real tension. I, you know, It made me care about a galaxy that I ha- have no reason to be invested in, So, it, it, but it made me care. So that was good. That was impressive. Yeah, I definitely. Um, I think the other thing to mention is uh, the soundtrack as well. Yeah. I think that works. I, I think what James Gunn does with the kind of use of, well, not contemporary music, but popular music, um, in the soundtrack is what Tarantino used to do, <laughs> you know, back in the days when Quentin Tarantino could make a film that comes in at under two hours, um, yeah. and the, it it, it complements the story. It never kind of feels oh, what's the word I'm looking for, not idiosyncratic. Um, it never jars, I guess, you know, with with the film. It all kind of works. You know, they choose yeah. the right songs to you know for the right scenes and stuff like that. I don't know. I wasn't that bowled over with the. The choices. Not that there's any any bad songs or anything. I don't, yeah. I, I wouldn't compare it to the early Tarantino. That uh, <laughs> the symbiotic relationship between the song and the image. I think <laughs> to well, compare okay, it to like Pulp it's... Fiction. That's, that's <laughs> fucking like, like the Holy Grail. That's like Scorsese and music. I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, but gets Scorsese that close. and music has remained consistent. Whereas Tarantino and music. Oh yeah. Fucking. What's the most obscure piece of music I can find? That's Tarantino nowadays. Yeah. No, I mean the music was good, and I think yeah, I don't know. It's only just it's only just occurred to me, but it, it because he's he's listening to like seventies music. It kind of just yeah, evokes like a, an old when again like Star Wars back in that era where films were fun, just like fun science yeah. fiction. Well, I mean films. visually as well. You you kind of there is quite a lot of nods to like Indiana Jones and like yeah. Close Encounters and ET and stuff like that as well. Felt like that to me as well. And I think it's it's kind of nice in in this fucking horrible vacuum of fucking Transformers four and all that kind of thing that we do not. We've I bet got I'll... enjoyable franchise films that can you know hark I... back to that fun eighties <clears throat> style. I bet it's because he it was filmed on sets. I bet that's all it fucking was. Because they filmed on sets, I think, didn't they? You could tell that Yeah. they'd yeah. constructed sets, like the, a lot of the prison. Yeah, um, so a lot of it was filmed at Shepard and Studios. Yeah, and I bet that's all it was. It, it harks back to those sort of 80s films when they used to actually make films Yeah. and not just draw them on computers. Yeah. Um, there we go. 
Because I remember a lot of Thor. I'm sure Thor, where they're walking around. Where's it? Where's the? Where's that? Asgard. Asgard. Um, it's all just fucking CGI, isn't it? It's all just backdrops mostly. I'm sure it is. Uh, yeah, probably. There was just a, an air of fakery about the whole thing that reminded me of the, like the Star Wars prequels. The worst thing about them, I think. Um, but yeah, like Guardians of the Galaxy looked real. It looked like good because it was a lot of it was filmed on sets and things. So it's, there's something tangible about all the environments and that. Yeah. Yeah, and no, it was good. It was fun. I'd like to watch it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go and see it again because I, I kind of watched it on on IMAX in 3D and it, I was kind of a little bit too close to the screen because it was quite busy um, so if I tilted my head slightly to like pick up my drink like it kind of <laughs> did that thing where like everything goes into two images like, oh, right, oh. yeah. yeah so I'd kind of like to watch it in 2D uh, where that's not going to be a problem the acting was good isn't it well, the performances yeah. were good like all the main cast I thought were good and even Groot Vin Diesel's sort of I don't know how many ways you can say I am Groot. And, but he does it. He, but he does it. Yeah. He did a good job. I wouldn't have wanted to do that job. It's like, look at the scripts. It's like, it's just the same line 50 <laughs> times. But, you know, he gave it his all and it works. Yeah, and it really works. Bradley, uh... Bradley Cooper's voice acting, you know, while I, you know, I might have slight issue with some of the lines or whatever, I don't think they're quite up to scratch the whole way through. But his performance is really good. Like, he really gives it his all. And Yeah. I don't know who that wrestler guy is, but I thought he was funny in it. And Zoe, Zoe, whatever. The Zoe Saldana, yeah. Yeah, she was fantastic. There's absolutely nothing to not like about Chris Pratt. Yeah, um, absolutely. And John C. Riley, what fucking more can you ask for? It's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, it was yeah really good cast, and, and I look forward to seeing them all again in, in 2017. Oh, what did you think of um, Karen Gillan, your Doctor Who star? Eh, you know, she was all right. She was underused, and she was playing a robot. So I guess <laughs> it took me about half an hour to realise that was Karen. I was I saw Karen <laughs> Gillan come up in the credits. I was like, oh, she's in it. Oh, Mark yeah. will be pleased. And then it was about halfway in, I went, oh, that's her. That's <laughs> who Karen Gillan is. Yeah, I mean, she was okay, but she kind of suffered from that same thing that that all Marvel villains suffer from is that they're a bit kind of cardboardy. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily her fault. I think it's kind of down to the script that she's not developed as much because she's supposed to have yeah. this kind of sort of sister-like relationship with um, Zoe Saldana's character and you don't ever really kind of feel that. Yeah, I was getting confused. Like, they relate to Thanos and then one minute she's going, oh, I'm helping him. No, I'm betraying him. The other one's going, oh, what? oh you want to kill him? I'll kill him. It's like, what? Yeah, oh, I don't really understand what's going family. on. Yeah. I didn't really understand... Well, it's like they're not actually his biological daughters. They're like children that he's kidnapped after like slaughtering their families or something, isn't right, it? That's the yeah. thing. Uh, I got that, but then, yeah, after that, I kind of lost it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very That's, good. Very, very it was good. good. I did enjoy it. Next month, of, oh, I don't know. I'm not too sure. I mean, I can, I'm going to see a lot of fringe theatre and stand-up comedy over the next month. But um, probably, I would imagine, we'll be talking about In Betweeners 2. Yeah. Uh, Stuart's very excited about it, as you can hear. <laughs> oh, Is anyone excited about it? Apart from I Alex think, Day. I think everybody's kind of just like, yeah, okay, fine, yeah. It's like when Only Fools and Horses came back after the final three. It's like, oh, is that on again, is it? Okay. Because I get the first one came out not long after Series 3. It was sort of the peak of its popularity, but then... Yeah. It's been a couple it's of years a, now. Yeah, like yeah. two years later, this is coming out. And no, Does anyone still care? I don't know. I think it'll do all right, and I hope it's funny, but I'm not holding out much hope. Which is actually, to be honest, how I went into the first one, so who knows. 
I thought I think the train. I don't mind the in betweeners. I thought the first one had its moments. Um, no, I liked the first one, but I went into it expecting to hate it because I had oh, enjoyed this one, the third series. This one doesn't look funny. I really don't no, think it looks funny. It doesn't. Um. So that's yeah. out. Um, Lucy is out with. Scott oh, that Anderson. looks bad. I can't it wait. It looks to... terrible. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. It looks like Limitless, um, but like kind of cross with the Fifth Element or something. Because it's Luke Besson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it just looks so... Oh, I can use all of my brain now, so I can just start using telekinesis and fucking bending <laughs> physics and biology and change my hair colour. It's fucking absurd. And based on an, a, a myth, a long-debunked myth, even when Limitless came out, yeah. it was proven wrong that it's, you, you're you not using, like, uh, 10% of your brain power or anything. That's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> it's long been proven a myth. But films are still being made on it. <laughs> Fucking annoys me. Um, Far more than it should. So we'll probably talk about that. And uh, I want to talk about Let's Be Cops with uh, Nick and Coach from uh, New Girl. Oh, I'm, I don't want to see that. It'll be I rubbish, I have but... To. I don't on. know what else is. I'm looking at the coming soon. Deliver us from evil. Oh, that's, that's, meant to be, be that's meant to be awful. fucking dog shit. It's got stuff that's not out till like November. It's got Fury and Gone Girl on it. It's ages away. <laughs> Interstellar, that's not out for oh, Did you see a trailer for Into the Into the Storm? Have you seen that? It looks so shit. Of all the films to get a remake, I wasn't expecting Twister to be one of them. <laughs> all right, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a shit. Yeah, we've already talked about the best films. film of August. Um, yeah. So. Oh, isn't like um Sex Tapes in City Two? Sex Tapes not out till September. Sin City Two, yeah, we'll talk about that as well because that's out in August. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I'll probably I'll make crowbar in a little art house film. Expendables three. Expendables three. We How could I forget? Yeah, Come all on. right. That's fine. All right. So we'll talk about all those. I might stick in Mood Indigo as well, the new Michelle Gondry film. Um, so yeah, join us next time, and uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye.